Your attention, please. Paul and Alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately. What? No way. What is happening here? This is the last call for the Layovers podcast. Really? Come on, man. This is our thing. We got this. Oh, yeah. And we made it. Of course, geeks. Flight 72 to Chicago. That is a great city. I know. You know, man, I used to live there briefly when I was almost a kid. I must have been 12 years old. And that's probably also the last time I actually visited the airport. <laughs> ORD. Well, yes. Multiple airports, right? Yes, that's a, that's a hell of an airport, which we'll get into. But it's such a great city. And I hadn't been like you in a long, long time until last year. And I just rediscovered it and fell in love with it. And I think, and this is a very controversial statement, I think it's my favorite city in America that I've been to right now. Oh, at least. wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I, I just I, dig it. When I was younger, I would always tell if I were to move to the US, it would be either New York or Chicago. These are my two places. They, they're different, right? I'm not saying they're, they're the same, different. but they're, they're, I feel great in them. Yeah, me too. Me too. Great city. We had a request actually to do Oslo <laughs> because you've been there. We'll talk about that yeah. as well. It was a iTunes review, five stars. Thank you so much from Dark Cho eighty five. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. I mean, this <laughs> iTunes user. I know this is so funny. You can glean <laughs> uh, literally nothing from them. <laughs> great podcast about almost everything in aviation. The chemistry is great. Topics interesting and the knowledge is superb. Keep it up, guys. Best regards from Norway. Uh, and he asked, I assuming is a he. Will you do an episode with Oslo? We did it actually in episode 32, but we'll do it again, obviously, because now we're starting to revisiting some of the airports and also because we're starting to run out of airports. I think I think I flew to approximately 100 airports in my life. So we still have like airports to do. But yeah. when we go to one, we'd like to revisit because we might have new things to say. And also airports are living organisms. They uh, well, absolutely. I think that's the key. I, I have a few coming up that I've never been to before, but for a while there, I was revisiting old ground, which is fine. There's just not much that to talk yeah. about. <laughs> I'm actually very excited to uh, a few ones that you are going to visit for the first time, but I've never been. So they yeah, also yeah, like... <laughs> me, yeah. It'll be uh, it'll be an interesting experience. And you know, I'll mention for instance Singapore, where I was uh, literally uh, a week ago. And you know, it's changing. It's these airports are changing super fast. Of course, Singapore, we know it's one of the best in the world, and it keeps getting better. You're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Two things that are not exactly airline related, but first, you know, I lived through the worst 36 hours in my life this week because Brooklyn 99 was canceled by Fox. And, you know, when I fly, there's two things I watch, Family Guy and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. But thank God, and I wanted to give a shout out, NBC picked it up. So now I can be able to continue watching Brooklyn yeah, Nine-Nine. I, in, again, <laughs> totally off topic, but I've always wondered how often that happens. I don't, th is there much precedent for a, a US major network cutting a show and then it being picked up by a competitor? Scrubs. Competing major net Scrubs. Good one. Probably the only one I'm thinking about, to be honest with you. Because often but it will go like from major to then, you know, from like Fox to Comedy Central or Cartoon Network or something for something like uh, CW, Futurama yeah, I mean, CW, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's you know, yeah, Scrubs is a good shout. Wow, there you go. One more season at least. <laughs> and the other thing that we don't do, but uh, that you guys do at Mexican Nation is having a drink 
whilst uh, recording. One of the reasons is first because it's only 11 a.m. now that we're recording today, yeah. Monday. On a, on a Monday, Monday, yeah. On a Monday, 14th of May. And see, guys, you know, we keep saying that we won't have time, but we found like this two hours and we'll quickly do an episode because the next one will be actually very late because we're literally All over the flying place. for three weeks now. So I'm not sure when we're going to have it. Uh, the other thing is that um, Hibiki whiskey is discontinued, man. Yeah, that's pretty distressing. And you asked me this morning what uh what I was drinking on the layovers mastication nation crossover episode, and it was it was that. And then you yeah. sent me this very distressing news that it has been discontinued because they're running out of aged whiskey, right, in Japan. Absolutely. How is that I've, possible? Someone clearly hadn't done their homework. I think what happened is that, you know, Japanese whiskey has been hyped in the past five years and it became like this worldwide phenomenon. And I just, I think they just didn't have enough stock. They're saying in the same article, it was in Forbes, that they will be more careful in the future and they will start building up again stock for the success that they've been having. So, so, yeah, well, yeah, well, me too, clearly. The link with aviation, that's the whiskey that's being offered in Jal. Japan Airlines offers Ibiki, I think, in business in first class. Yes. Uh, I don't know if they will stop, though. We'll see. <laughs> I have no idea. And it's obviously very, you know, very famous as well from Suncher in Time, you know, the famous uh, Lost in Translation movie as well. Yes. Um You've asked, guys, because it was a great episode of Mustard, one we mentioned in the past episode, our own past episode. Your brother was asking whether or not Mustard was uh, given in flights, and he, he mentioned Swiss or yes. Swiss Air. I believe, indeed, I try, I was trying to remember when Swiss Air was on, I believe they were offering a tube of mustard. I'm not sure that they do now because I haven't seen it in a while, but since Swiss does, uh, flew them recently, these things that every 30 days they emphasize one region of Switzerland oh, and nice. their food. I remember having once a little tube of Tomi <laughs> accompanying some eggs or something. There was even like a little a flyer explaining you how to actually use the tube oh, and how nice. to what to put over the egg, et cetera, et cetera. So it was, yeah, it's pretty fun. What a actually. great idea. Uh, they also offer grain mustard in their sandwiches on Swiss, if you ever want that. Uh, in their lounges, you can find them, actually. Lufthansa, I'm not sure. I, I'm pretty sure that somebody had tweeted us at some point in the past three years a picture of some mustard e thing on Lufthansa. Listen, guys, I don't remember who did this. If you ever flown Lufthansa and had mustard as an extra, please let us know. Was it <laughs> was it on a sandwich? No, I think it was part of the meal. Oh, and like in a, just an aside, an accompaniment. Yeah, an aside, yeah, which uh, yeah. Air France does that. Air France, I remember long-haul Air France. I haven't flown them long-haul for a while, but used to give that in business class as, you know, a condiment, something you would add on, you know, your steak, for instance. So that was the French version of it, obviously, Dijon, right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, guys, if you don't know what we're talking about, you should listen to the episode of Mastication Nation because it's a really fun one. And thank you for the shout-outs, by the way. My I really, pleasure. really appreciate that. And also, it was a... Uh, Milestone because for the first time, Will didn't use the term vector, but you did. I did, yes, vector for for delivery. That's <laughs> that's too much Alton Brown for him, his <laughs> culinary god. But yeah, uh, I think there's there's more to the to the airplane food discussion to come. I think I I, I find it interesting. I think because I'm a food dork as yeah, well I as know. a plane dork, and I I know people are very dismissive about airplane food. I find the whole thing fascinating. It doesn't mean I necessarily endorse the quality. I just think it's interesting. I fully agree. It's, it's, it's an art and a science at the same time. So it's 100%. Oh, oh. 
by definition, food is, but you, you'd think more in 30,000 feet, but the air is actually uh, also yeah. one. Um, uh, since we just talked about Lufthansa, uh, <laughs> the new color, <laughs> have you seen the difference? <laughs> no. <laughs> I can't see the difference. Uh, you sent me a picture of the book, because they did this, we talked about this, I think, three or four episodes ago. They'd done the rebranding, and then they paused very sensibly to evaluate it and said the quote-unquote blue looked a little bit black in certain lights, so they tweaked it. Apparently, <laughs> I can't see it myself, but I, I'm not. I'm not a designer. I don't have a designer's brain. So, can you see it? Well, you know what? It's it's one of the things you'd say. Uh, is it the same color with a different light? As in, you know, the sun just shines on it and it's actually lighter, or is it actually a different color? I mean, I'm sure, of course, it is a different color because we know they've said it, but it's not as if the difference is so stark. I mean, it's like a little bit. Yeah, I guess. it's it's definitely bluer <laughs> definitely bluer because they're right i mean the the picture that they're and again who knows these are these are pictures in different light environments ones on the ground ones in the air different airplanes probably different paint and all that so have you seen one in the flesh yet no i Neither was uh, I. like i think was it the last episode I, I mentioned i was in munich and i was looking for one and i didn't find any they were all still in the old livery but they said that this livery because they paused it, will not be there before they actually decide on probably the right blue color or something. <laughs> so no, I haven't seen it. I, I, I don't know. I flew Swiss afterwards, so there was none as well at Zurich, but that's more obvious. So no, we're probably going to see them very soon. I, and again, I commend Lufthansa's approach to this whole exercise. I think oh, that they've absolutely. nailed it. Taylor Moore at Timur4000 actually tweeted you guys out, says he started binge listening after I ran out of layovers episode. Sorry, Taylor, we, we cannot put them out faster than this. Uh, so he says to you guys, it's a great podcast. Uh, and he, in regards to airport food, although being a dumpster fire in all other regards, <laughs> LAX has decent food now. You know what? It gets a lot of hate, but that airport is getting so much better than it used to be. But dumpster yeah. fire made me chuckle. I like that. <laughs> me too. Oh, since since we're on, on that, you still are offering a signed copy uh, for the book. Yes. Yes, I should travel book. And I know that you're giving parts of the proceedings to the Nolan Trust. Yes. Um, people can find, of course, simply by following you, Cube Dweller on Twitter. Yep. Uh, or attachetravel.net is where you can find the books. And if you use the promo code layovers, there's a cheeky little discount in it for you. But yeah, the, we give 25% of the price of the the signed copy to the Anthony Nolan Trust who matched stem cell donors with people that need a stem cell transplant. So they, they do good work. Uh, so thank you for mentioning that. I appreciate it. No, of course, of course. And I'll keep mentioning it because I think it's actually a worth uh, enterprise. Uh, it's, it's still on Mastication Nation, I don't want to talk about food all the time, but there was a, I think your brother was mentioning something very interesting about the distribution of, of beers, right? And Greg McCormick, was it him that mentioned that yeah. Betsy is actually no more? That yeah. the beer from Cathay Pacific has actually stopped. It's such a shame. Yeah, Craig. Craig is a a brewer himself, and yeah. so is 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 has his ear in that network, as it were, and <laughs> has heard that it's no more. And as you said on Twitter, they did say from the beginning that it was a limited edition yeah. thing. But I, you know. I think the re reception that it received, it could have been this is a gimmick and this beer is crap because people generally are quite snobby about their beer, but it was incredibly well received. It feels like one of those things that you just go large with. 
Yeah, becomes exactly. another point of exposure. Maybe there's still some stock somewhere. Probably they're not giving them out in air. And that's the that's a pity because that's actually where it actually is good, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It really was a very good beer. So I am sad to hear. I'm glad I, I have a bottle up on my shelf unopened, which I, th- <laughs> I think I'm just going to keep. I only have the coaster. Oh, I don't have a coaster. They gave it to me when they served it to me last year in Cathay Pacific. Oh, uh, I so, but I, I didn't. I didn't keep the bottle because I didn't have room for it. But yeah, and it was empty anyway. I just drunk it. Yeah. <laughs> Other things that happened because you know the not only the world of aviation goes fast as you keep saying, Alex, but also the world goes fast. And in two weeks, it's amazing what happened. First, yeah. uh, well, suddenly we went from a state of war to a peace agreement in Korea. I mean, of course, it's still going. I'm not saying here that everything is settled, but. Actually, the ICAO has received a demand, a request, sorry, from the North Korean government to open routes between Pyongyang and Seoul. That's incredible. Yeah, it is, right? It goes so fast. I mean, again, we don't know, but I mean, I'm, I want to be an optimist. I want to be hopeful. And I hope that this, you know, no matter where it goes, that there's peaceful relationship. And yeah, I remember Tony Tyler used to say that, you know, the airline industry is a force for good. Yeah, because people travel, they meet each other and yeah. they become less aggressive. So I really hope that it happens. I do too. And I, I read recently that there's, there's discussions in place now to open up the airspace as well. They want people to come in and modernize the infrastructure so they can reopen the airspace for overflight as well, which would uh, would would change quite a lot. And also for Korean Air, because as I told you guys, when I flew Korean Air from Seoul to London, you could see on the moving map that you know, the flight was clearly avoiding North yeah, Korean airspace. Exactly. Because, you know, uh, Incheon, if you guys don't know, just look it up on Google Maps. It's very, very close to the border, actually. So they had to do like this massive turn to kind of avoid. That would solve uh, some issues for them and also make uh, have a more direct route exactly. back to Europe. That's great. Good That's thing. great. Good I watched with, uh, with bated breast and... Breast. <laughs> <laughs> bated breath and optimism. It can be both. It can be both. <laughs> the Trump will meet Kim in Singapore, Singapore on yeah. June twelfth. The interesting bit is why Singapore. So obviously, obviously Singapore, a bit like Switzerland, is this, this very uh, stable place and offers good services, etc. But also, uh, there was concerns on how far could the private plane for the government of North Korea actually fly to. What is it? <laughs> I don't know. It's some kind of Russian. Thing, yeah, I yeah. Guess. Uh, probably an Air Korea. They couldn't do it in, in you know, Geneva. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that would not be possible. Although, didn't Kim Jong-un go to boarding school in Geneva? Or in Switzerland? Yes, in yeah. Switzerland. I think in Switzerland. Like, you know, I think in the French part, there's a lot of boarding schools right there. So, yeah, that's where he grew up partially, indeed. Uh, his father, you remember, he never, he was afraid of flying. Yeah, so he took a was, train everywhere. Yeah, he would go to, with a train to Moscow, you know? <laughs> it's like crazy. At least the son, I mean, for all the wrongs he did, at least he's flying. So, and you know what? I still want to fly Air Korea. Me too. Me too. And I think we're 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 much more likely now. It sounds like yeah, you know. exactly, absolutely. On the opposite end, Trump uh, pulled back from the deal in Iran. Again, here not to talk about politics, but the big hit here is Boeing because Boeing was signing a deal with Iran Air to provide them with aircrafts. Yeah. And suddenly that could change the game because, not because of they would be prohibited from doing so, but because there won't be guarantors. You know, they have this uh, bank, the ex- Export-Import Bank in the US that supports including the sales of aircraft. It's being used. I mean, Europe is the same. There's uh, Many countries have a similar type of credit lines. Well, that bank would not guarantee anymore that deal, which means that suddenly it could be opening the door to Airbus. Yeah, and I think that there was some 
licensing or some license was rescinded by Iran as well for Boeing to complete that deal. So, and, and there were scrutiny over Airbus as well, I think, which is one of the many reasons, many, many reasons why Europe said, no, no, we'd really like to keep this deal in place. So it's complicated, and, and yeah. I, but but you're right. Boeing have felt. I think the what was the book value of that order? Thirty eight billion. That was something massive. like that. It was huge, and of course they didn't pay thirty eight billion, but the, that's a lot of money. So it will be very interesting to see where we end up with this politically and from an aviation perspective. And obviously, so the stock of Boeing went down after the announcement. The stock of uh, Northrop and Lockheed went up because, yeah, you know, they do fighter jets. Yeah, anyway. Uh, but, you know, it could be the art of the deal. You know, it could be like similar to North Korea. They say nothing is working anymore to push to make peace. Let's hope so. We'll see where uh, that uh, goes yeah. indeed. <laughs> Another thing that happened whilst we were not recording was uh, May the 4th. You know, that became this uh, Star Wars day uh, every year. And... Ethro did something so so cool. <laughs> they they did for such a for such a staid environment. This was delightful. They had on their boards at least a T five, uh, maybe in other terminals as well. They had a departure boards with included flights to Tatooine, Camino, Jakku, Endor, etc. Alderaan, of course, was cancelled because it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> I mean, it was. So I clever. mean, so 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 good. Uh, of course, the, the flight numbers were the R two T two. You know, C3PO, BB8, Wookie with the I being one. I mean, you know, good marketing and good fun. Yeah, it was a really nice touch. And it and it, it did exactly what they wanted it to do. And it went, and I hate this word, viral. And people got a real <laughs> kick out of it. I, it did really, really good idea. I love the, the flight for the Death Star. Allow extra time for boarding, possibly a trap. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't see that one. <laughs> That's actually pretty, pretty fun. So yeah, kudos, kudos Ethro, yeah. because it was really, really cool. Uh, talking about science fiction stuff, I don't know if you've seen... Because, you know, Airbus is doing some type of uh, flying taxi, flying personal drone, whatever. Yeah. And Uber just uh, released their designs for their, I will call them spaceports, because they want to not only offer that kind of transportation model, but also they would like to build literally spaceports. You look at this, do you really think that one day we'll have massive skyscrapers where you can simply go and hop on with these things and go to, I don't know, man. I don't know either, but I've the last month of, of with everything that's happened with Korea and Iran has taught me to never say never. So yeah, absolutely. Who knows? Probably. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> well, I, I hope so. You know, it would be fun to live in science fiction. You know, it's just and some of the designs, some of the because you the, you know they did a competition and an architecture firms came up with designs. Some of them are actually pretty cool. Actually, they they really look like spaceports. Yeah. Like you would bore to the Death Star. Actually. <laughs> uh, Talking about something that we wish was science fiction, but it's not, uh, smart luggage. Every single episode we used to talk about it, we kind of stopped a blue smart folded. Yeah, they. I think because so many airlines, and actually this is one of the reasons they cited, although it was probably the least offensive reason they cited, where a lot of airlines banned them almost overnight within sort of days of each other doing it. Because they're stupid and dangerous, uh, and so they've they've said unless you can remove the batteries, uh, which obviously negates one of the major features of it, then you can't bring them on board. It was as dumb. I don't know. I was thinking about this when I was traveling recently. There's a lot of ads in in-flight magazines for reinventing luggage. And I'm like, we cracked luggage <laughs> 500 years ago. We don't need to do. We don't need to do this. Let's go apply all this design and you know ergonomic genius to an actual problem. 
The scraps of the company, let's say, has been acquired by Travel Pro, which is the luggage actually used. They do great work. Uh, I don't know what they're going to use. Probably they're going to, you know, at the end of the day, the biggest problem with BlueSmart is that due to the new regulation that says that you need to be able to remove electronics equipment from the luggage, yeah. BlueSmart had a design where everything was integrated and badly integrated because wires were kind of all over the place. Mm. Uh, whereas other makers, uh, you simply remove, you, you have a, basically you have a small pod and you can, you can put just- a battery there or remove it, which to me, if it's not a smart luggage, but why not? I mean, at the end of the day. And so probably that's what travel pro might do is include some stuff where you can put a battery and charge you but that's that's not smart and also i mean there i'm sure that there were some and are some very talented people in that organization who correct who, who build the luggage themselves and you know the integrated scale and all of that other stuff that it had the espresso machine that they that, that travel <laughs> pro would get a lot of value from the from those brains so it might have been yeah. one of those uh yeah. those acquisitions and let's remember though that the founder of blue smart was a bit of a dick because he was attacking reviewers yes so you know at the end of the day you know payback it, it, i still don't see a lot of smart luggages around when i travel and we do travel a lot and i see most people yeah. having like normal luggages for going out loud <laughs> yeah i i I'm, again, I, I'm skeptical that we can take luggage to the future any more than we already have. Science fiction is also what probably some of the unions at Air France are thinking because uh, they oh, are gosh. striking literally every three days. It's it's really bad right now. So, uh, I mean, you know, the, the, the cliche is that France uh, strikes all the time. To a certain extent, it's true. You know, so the, the railway in France, SNCF, hasn't seen a single year since 1956 without a strike. What? So, yeah, they do. That's yeah, an yeah. extraordinary <laughs> statistic. <laughs> yeah, right now, there's a big, big, big battle that led to the actual dismissal, not a dismissal, so the CEO resigned. He said, I cannot do it. There's no way I can do it. I gave it my whole and I'm quitting. So there's Air France has no CEO. The numbers, if you look at the Air France KLM group are okay, but there's good numbers come from actually KLM and some of the subsidiaries like Hop and Transavia. Air France itself is not doing that great. The crew wants uh, more money, which again, you know, I understand in a like, more selfish way. The pilots who are already being paid, I think, 250,000 euros a year, which I'm not Oof. here, I'm not saying it's, you know, they should be paid less, but they're also asking for 7% or 5% of member raise. The thing is, really, Air France is suffering. They cannot make the numbers work. And I really don't see how it's going. And to the point that if they keep striking, because the announcements are like, they, there's going to be strikes all over the summer, it, only in May, right? Uh, some people even say that Air France could actually go bankrupt over this. There were a lot of articles in some of the the respected business journals that were basically saying the writing is on the wall and Air France could be one of the biggest airline casualties in in a gen- since the sort of Pan Am and TWA days. Yeah. Uh, which would be, in my mind, a tragedy. I don't think Air France as a name would disappear, but I think you may see, you know, one of these blockbuster bankruptcies. And I don't know how the law works in France and in the EU in general, but where the name is saved and private equity comes in and, and acquires it and basically they build an airline from scratch. And they they do what the American airlines did and they they bankrupt the company to void the union liabilities, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and pension yeah. liabilities and all that, which of course screws tens <laughs> of thousands of. I mean, destroys lives. But yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, is that worth preserving a, a storied brand? Absolutely not. But that's probably the tack that will it will take. Sadly, 
The complication here is that uh, the government still owns part of the company. Macron wants to, the president of France, wants to kind of rejuvenate the French economy. And they have very bluntly said that this time there's no saving. This time the government will not intervene and put money. First of all, you know, they can't put money that easily because of European rules for competition. But anyway, they say well, they won't do anything. Okay, so who's going to buy it? IAG or the ME3? (laughs) The Chinese. Or the Chinese. Yeah, Hainan. Well, the Hainan group is, aren't they just riddled with debt? Yeah, I think they they expanded way too quickly, way too crazily, and, you know, everything financed by debt. And I think that's hitting their back. Yeah. Not to say another word, right? Staying in Europe, Airbus, we were a bit both sad about this. We were not surprised, though. Airbus has announced that the Bombardier C-Series will be renamed. It's going to be the A200, for crying out loud. Yeah, we did kind of assume that was going to happen. It's still a neat airplane. I'm glad they didn't kill it. It's a nice addition to their portfolio because they're smaller capacity. Yeah, they don't have just, anything like that, do they? Exactly. So this is well below the A320, A319, 20, uh, and 21. So it's perfect. But some people were not expected that they would actually change the name altogether. But it makes sense probably on a, you know, marketing. So it's one yeah, yeah, brand yeah. of aircraft. So, uh, I just saw, I was in, I was in Zurich uh, last week going to Athens, and I saw uh, for the first time uh, 300 uh, Swiss they have now more 300s than 100s because it converted some of the orders. And the plane looks really cool. Sadly, it was not the one I was, I was on. I was on a 321. I was like, I really want to go. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to try it. I'm wondering, will the old ones, or so the ones that have been delivered, also be renamed? I was like- just thinking that when they have one of their, their heavy checks, will they just apply a new decal that... Probably. <laughs> Probably, yeah, at the end of the day. Which raises the question, what will Boeing do with Embraer? Well, I think... That even makes it more likely that they'll suddenly be the, what would they be? <laughs> exactly. Because that's the thing. The 717 was already the MD whatever. You know, that was a X, brand, yeah. Which is actually highly in demand. There's only like less than 100 uh, 717s, but they're really fighting over yeah. that aircraft. So Ember, Maybe they'll just play. call them Boeing E-Jets or... Yeah, said, maybe. I, it's, it's hard to imagine them, although they'll have to do it eventually, going to the Boeing 800 series yeah, but that's the thing. I was thinking the same thing. At one point, they were running out of numbers yeah. with a 7, right? So what did, what did they do? They could rename something with 717, though, or 707, and they could do it. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it'll be interesting well, to see what they do. Talking about the 747, Qantas is announcing that they will retire the last one by 2020. <sighs> oh, well, what can we do? That's, you know uh, what I have to say? I was flying out of... Out of T5, I don't know what I was on it, a, a small regional A319 or A320. And we turned around the corner at a window seat, obviously. It was sort of maybe eight o'clock in the morning. And there was a 747 waiting for us to pull out. And it looked wow. it looked like a lion just <laughs> waiting majestically in the morning sun. I know it sounds nerdy, but it just, I wasn't expecting it. Just seeing it there, like, yeah, that's a cool plane. That's a cool plane. It is. It still still is. The 380s, not as cool. I mean, we love it, but it's true that in terms of watching it, it's really massive. Looks like a whale or something. Yeah. So, in keeping with that whale tradition, ANA just released their designs for the 380s they're going to get. So, these are planes they're going to use exclusively to go to Hawaii, which is a very 
popular destination for honeymoons in Japan. The livery will be a, a fish in three different colors. One I think is blue, the other one is turquoise or whatever. Yeah. And the last one is orange. And they have names that mean, if I remember, one means ocean. That's, I think, the green one. Turquoise is ocean. The orange one, I think, means sunset. And the first one means sky. But it, it's really cool. They're very joyful. Plants. They look beautiful. The orange one especially is very striking. Uh, so Lani, Kai, and, and Kala. I, I'm sorry, I weigh in friends because I have no idea how to pronounce it. It's also very nice that they would use terms from Hawaii and not Japanese terms to yeah. friend those. Uh, I find it a very nice touch. I wonder, I mean, three A380s on that route is pretty amazing. I wonder if we'll see them occasionally in places like Hong Kong or other short-ish haul but high-density routes. I mean, Japan obviously is famous for its need for high-density routes, but these aren't configured as high-density airplanes. No, because they have on the upper deck, there's a first class with a bar in front. Of course, the bar, because, you know, in front, there's you cannot put seats at some point. That's where Emirates puts their showers and whatever. There's a, a second bar in between the uh, first and uh, business. And then there's premium economy, I think, at the back of the upper deck and a bar as well at the very end of that premium economy. Clearly, at least from the, the mock-ups, not as big as the bar you'd find on a Emirates uh, 380. And on the below deck, it will be the uh, economy. And interestingly, at the back and on the below deck, they will have, they call that ANA couch, it's an economy seat, but I can you can sleep on it. Yeah, like Air New Zealand's. Although it looks a little bit more robust than the Air New Zealand one. And there's a room at, at the end. I don't know what they say. They call it a multi-purpose room. It seems to be open for passengers. So I don't know if it's just for people to stretch their legs or something. Or it, it's in. It's a. I'm, I cannot wait to see these in the sky. Yeah, and they're also putting lots of lightning. I mean, we know that Airbus now uh, with their, uh, I think it's called Airspace, they provide you know 14 million different LEDs or something in great colors. So they, they already have shown a bit of the colors they're going to play, like very joyful again, you know, because it's a honeymoon destination. Right? Yeah, well, exactly. I, I was reading the the One Mile at a Time report on this, but I, I'm not 100% sure when they're supposed to launch these services. I think it's in two years, if oh, I'm wow. not uh, mistaken. Yeah, it's not right now, but I, I'm not planning to go to Hawaii not to get a honeymoon in Hawaii, but, you know, I would definitely try to find. Yeah. I, I went to... I took, uh, what was it? I think it was Northwest. Was it already Delta back then? Uh, no, Northwest from uh, Narita to Honolulu. And uh, I wish I had done that in a 380 that looks like a fish. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> it's cool. Talking about cool, uh, China Easter, we, I haven't flown them in 10 years, but China Easter has uh, released a livery for one of their 330s to infinity and beyond. It's Buzz Lightyear. It looks super, super cool as well. It does look cool. It it does look cool. And I, because I forgot that they're doing another one of those movies. I was like, why are you, this movie came out years and years ago. Why are you doing this now? But I forgot. <laughs> they've got Disneyland there, of course, and they've got a new movie coming out eventually. I don't know when. The interior as well is very playful because uh, it's mostly, it's mostly a play with the, uh, you know, the cushions. And uh, I mean, it's not as if the seats, the seats are just blue, but it's joyful. It's fun. I enjoy that, you know. It's yeah. it shows that you, it shows that I mean, of course, they had to pay licensing rights and everything, but it shows that you don't have to always go full crazy on every single item in the aircraft to make it fun. It, sometimes it's just 
about you know do something with Buzz Lightyear. It yeah, works really yeah, well. exactly. Since we're in China, Guangzhou just opened a new terminal. It's absolutely, absolutely huge. They say this terminal two uh, capacity of forty five million people. Oh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, three hundred and thirty nine check in counters. The scale of China for me is just baffling. Yeah, I think they're being very sensible about this because they know that the demand is growing exponentially and will continue to grow. So you might as well, to the best you can, future-proof your airport infrastructure. I want to see these airports. Yeah, uh, me too. I really want to see them because they, they look really massive. Um, so talking about going to Asia, it, wow, the Icelandic airline will open routes to Asia. Uh, that's what the CEO said. I, I find it a bit surprising because flying to first Iceland to go to China mm. seems a bit counterintuitive. From the US first to Iceland to then China seems completely yeah, counterintuitive. Yeah, so, well, but they still, they want to open 14 routes, apparently, that's what they say, and yeah. trying to be that uh, DXB, that Dubai in the north of the Atlantic. Uh, there's two things. Strategy. Geography, like I just said, is not as easy. But second, uh, I don't know if you've been recently to Reykjavik, KEF, it's... Um, constraint That's yeah, just, yeah. so i don't know how you add all these people transiting there they will have to like triple the size of the airport they really want to become a dubai of the north yeah because they are talking about not just china but india as well uh, some routes there and i know that helsinki its northernness has been the key to finnair strategy of serving asia because uh, helsinki to somewhere like Shanghai or Tokyo, Tokyo is, yeah. is actually not that far, relatively, because no, you're going across the, the top the of the globe. The pole route, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So maybe there's something there. I, 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 I don't know, but it's an aggressive strategy. Uh, uh, clearly, there's money to be made there because the fares, even out of London to Asia, are still competitive. So there's I mean, And scooters obviously come in and a few other low-cost carriers. So it'll be interesting to see how this actually plays out. I hope they do it. I hope they succeed. But yeah. it's true that to entice me to go first to Iceland to then go to it's three hours from London. Yeah. Do they go to Asia? Where whereas I have you know Helsinki just mentioned is very well placed and actually a very big part of now of the One World strategy or Norwegian that is opening routes directly to Singapore. It will have to be a very good price to you know entice people to do that. Yeah. And the and there's when you the challenges with long haul. Yes, the the sticker fare may be very attractive, but then bag fees, meals, seat selection, all that it adds up, and people are becoming wise to that. Uh, so I flew to Singapore. Uh, we already talked about Singapore so many times. I'll try to be short, and I flew again with Emirates. Uh, did you know for, for, via Dubai, and then I had to go to work to Dubai. So I was seeing when I landed there the that jewel, you know, that uh, new. It's not a terminal because it's a thing that will link all the terminals besides maybe T four. It will be like a shopping destination. There will be like a hundred thousand trees and like a waterfall from forty meters. You know, in the right it's like middle. It's like a free falling waterfall. Right, that's not coming Absolutely. off the edge of something. Yeah, that's going to be spectacular and it's probably spectacular. quite noisy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering about that as well. And they, I think they will be do projections of images on this waterfall because they will act as some kind of screen. Obviously, there's been a video. I think uh, Peter Johnson on Facebook shared it with me first. There's an article on the Straits Times as well that shows mockups and where the the construction is sitting at now. It's opening next year, 2019, and. Uh, you said it's like they're trying to tell us how shit all the other airports are. Yeah, they're That's like, this is how good you could have it. 
<laughs> it's just it's it's really crazy. Anyway, I'm, I'm looking forward next year. I don't know I don't know which month is going to open, but clearly all the panels that we know the windows, I think they were specially made in the US or something have been installed they were like clearly done so from the outside it looks done of course the inside is still a few months off i don't know how it's going to work how you're going to connect with it because it sits right in the middle yeah. uh, around all where you know you would stop uh, and having pick up and, and drop off probably underground tunnels i don't know we'll see so yeah i mean singapore man just this airport is i understand why it's always number one i mean i went i was terminal one which is the oldest so it's i, I still like it I, I hate the freaking carpet as, I, as you guys know but <laughs> yeah well I th- again i think they do that on purpose uh singapore man as, as always i love it lots of uh, lots of food obviously <laughs> you've been to the maxwell i have uh, yeah I, I would not recommend it guys these days because now there's so much construction around it they're re- revamping the entire area that it feels completely isolated yeah it's hard to get a taxi there as well i've found even with the taxi apps you just seem to wait and wait and wait wait and wait and maybe that's why they don't want to get caught up in all that it's not going to disappear guys but i think right now because of the construction around it's actually uh maybe not the best option for food courts and usually i love going to the fullerton bay which is a fantastic hotel and i can find deals but this one was a very last minute trip and it was way too expensive and i learned as well that the asian summit was going at the same time so the price uh. of the hotels are crazy i ended up going into uh sofitel so sofitel very very nice i mean you've seen uh, i put some pictures on my instagram <laughs> fantastic okay. fantastic hotel and next door is a la passat food court i've never been department. to that place 10 years ago correlating with maxwell 10 years ago there was almost no skyscrapers around it there was a little bit of construction and i honestly didn't realize that it was the same place i was uh because <laughs> because it was like holy cow there's only skyscrapers around it so probably it was, was going to happen to maxwell you know they the building and in a few years is going to be uh, very nice surrounded by newish buildings but it's it's, it's it, comforting it was, to know that they'll always be there because if they ever touch them there will be such a massive local and international outcry <laughs> exactly and since you mentioned taxis uh i, I mentioned in the last uh, episode was it two episodes ago that you know grab was buying the uber uh, operations in southeast asia the uber drivers are really unhappy it it has happened because it was may 8th or 9th today may 14th as i mentioned so it has happened customer service is not the same i'm not saying guys you shouldn't use grab but really it's not as good as as uber in terms of customer service really yeah yeah it's uh I mean, just ask people in Singapore and they'll all shout at how bad it is sometimes. And the drivers themselves are also very concerned because it was a week before when I went, obviously. Uh, so anyway, just that you know that Uber doesn't work there anymore. Probably if you go to Uber, they will tell you, I don't know, uh, download Grab or something. I don't know how it works. Yeah, I'm, anyway. I'm interested to see how that transition will take place. Uh, at Singapore itself, so still, the only thing I don't like about you is that security at the gate. I really, you know, that that just breaks my rhythm. I'm like, oh, I still need to clear security. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh. But the, the very interesting thing uh, is that now there's a signs everywhere, Terminal 1, but apparently Terminal 2 and 3 as well. I'm not sure about 4 that says that it is an arrestable offense to enter the transit area if you do not intend to travel, even if you have a boarding pass. So at first I was a bit puzzled. I mean... If you have a boarding pass, it means that you intend to travel. Yeah. But they do checks. They do double checks. Uh, so the, you have the e-gates or, of course, simply the person who will scan your boarding pass. But before you do that, 30 meters before, so it's almost useless, you have another uh, stop, another check, and they make sure that you want to travel. Why would they do that? So one of the theories I had was like, 
where people going for very low cost travels that they want to cancel to get some, you know, duty free shopping deals and then going out. Because again, since there's no security, once you get, you have access to duty free, you have access to all yeah. the amenities and then you can just go out. Uh, another friend of mine, Andres N, uh, at the ex city of Spotify who lives in, in Singapore told me, Maybe it's for a celebrity sighting. Maybe people are going there because since we exit uh, and enter. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And even how can they check? Even if I have a boarding pass and I, and I tell them, yeah, of course I'm traveling. Will they track me down to make sure I'm actually traveling? I don't right. know. I, I mean, I said, I think my my theory is that it's people who want to go and use the lounge. Yeah, because that, that guy that we talked about many, many moons ago uh, that would go, booked a flight and rescheduled it every day for like a year just so he could go in and eat and drink <laughs> in, in the lounge for free and f- before they finally got wise to him. This guy was not called Alexander, by the way. Guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that is something I would do. Uh, I, the uh, the other perhaps slightly more sinister explanation is that it's terrorism related. Yeah, maybe. There was always concern that, you know, an airpoint is a is a bottleneck where a lot of people are gathered in very high density. and But Singapore seems unlikely for that to be a thing. But maybe they're just getting ahead of it. So. Yeah, maybe, and of course, maybe. they'll never tell us the reason because... Of course not. But it sounds very strange to have a double check because you'd like, okay, but the next check will be exactly the same as the one you just did. But anyway, it's it's interesting that they have that. It's not a bottleneck per se, by the way. It's not a huge problem. Just no, no, bit, no. Uh, just just it's a bit strange. And these signs that were not there last time I flew was, I think, November, not September last year, are clearly all over the place. So it seems to be something that has been happening. I don't know exactly what it is. The guy who you just mentioned, it was in China, like Xi'an, it was in 2015, maybe? maybe 2014, right. Xi'an Airport. And he was, like you said, going to the lounge, eating, canceling his flight because it was full fare and doing that every day or so. So good. <laughs> so, so crazy. But the one thing that was very notable, and I told you as well, was uh, lots of Qantas planes. So really, they have shifted kind of back to Singapore. There's still Qantas planes in, in, in Dubai, where I was next. But clearly, you could feel that the presence of Qantas is very now heavy as it used to be like 15 years ago at Singapore. That's, yeah, it's, we talked about this and we were trying to figure out what the strategy is because you were, like you say, you were, they're still co-chair with Abrams. Full integration, right. It's not like that deal is dead and they're now going back to something. I wonder if this is a move to basically, okay, we've conquered Emirates. Emirates is our, is our place. Now let's take the fight to Singapore because they're really our only competitor. I've seen Qantas planes and they were clearly co-chair Emirates. So you could fly from Singapore to Sydney with Qantas having bought a flight on Emirates. But also the flight I was on that was going from Dubai to Singapore, I was talking uh, as I usually do to the, to the, to the crew. And they were telling me our next stop is Melbourne and they were grabbing passengers. So Emirates flies as a fifth film route from Singapore to Melbourne huh. as well. So it's, it's like you said, maybe it's just a coordinated attack to own, not own, but to, to bring the fight to Singapore yeah. is a very big or at least in- grab some low low hanging fruit. Yeah, I don't know. I, I there's no I mean I think strategically that alliance has been fantastic for both parties Qantas and Emirates. Correct. It's it's they're they're good at playing that long game both of those airlines. So it'll yeah. be interesting to see if they try and do something similar in Hong Kong. Oh. But, you know, that's two and a half hours north of Singapore, so perhaps yeah. not as strategically beneficial for Qantas. Exactly. And they can only spread so far. I mean, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 
uh, one of our followers and listeners, Matech Arar. I don't know how to pronounce your name, man. Uh, I'm, I'm so sorry. But he sent us a, a not a picture, like a group picture. There was like multiple pictures of what T4 at Tashangi looks like, which I've never been to. And man, it looks really cool. You know, it's it's like a very, again, joyous uh, airport. You can feel that uh, the terminal is very new, obviously, but they've really went a lot with colors and everything. It looks really, really great. Uh, I, I need to to try and, and fly that. He was saying that not only he was there and took pictures for us, but also he was reading Skyfaring by Mark. So I guess you're another AV geek, man. Yeah, that's that is true dedication to the to the movement. <laughs> <laughs> The, uh, a few other things about the flights, and I mentioned that because it really puzzled me. Two times from Singapore to Dubai and then Dubai to London a bit later because I sit in Dubai. Both times I received a different amenity ticket from Bulgaria again. So that's what like – Six now. Six variations in the wild. Yes. I and wonder I was if like, they ship them – or if they assemble them in a different – like they have a few places where they where they warehouse them and they're just uh, – who knows? Uh, so I've looked because I was really puzzled. I said, this cannot be. Why is it happening? There's been a press release by Emirates, but 2015, so it's three years ago, when they say that they will be releasing 18 different – if, I, if I'm not mistaken, it's 18, maybe 16 different Bulgari amenity kits. But the ones they put on pictures there are the old ones, you know, the, the, the brown ones. Yeah. So simply maybe they continued with that. It's like an Easter egg hunt or something. We have like a variation and it's randomized. And if you're lucky like me, because I've been flying a lot of Emirates and I'm flying again at the end of the week, maybe I'll get uh, other ones as well. So at least maybe that's simply that. Maybe they just wanted to make like a good marketing thing and offering you like different amenity yeah, kits. I think that that makes a lot of sense because they are highly desirable things. I mean, they're very, very nicely done. Yeah, they are. Yeah, I've kept them all, actually. Yeah, uh, now what I do, because I tend to have all, too much stuff, uh, to be frank, I, I empty them and I keep only the... Um, first of all, I don't need a comp. I'm, I'm bald. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but also, there's a few things I don't... You know, I have like 25 million Bulgari eye cream or something. I'm like, at the end of the day, I don't need them. So yeah. I, I, I now, to, to save space, I usually keep only the, the actual uh, kit, the box. The bo- the, yeah, they're, which they're very nice. Interestingly... As always, it's it's a very good marketing, by the way. You know, when you enter Emirates and you put your headphones on, the first thing it's autoplay is that radio channel, yeah. which is kind of a podcast. Uh, it's great because they had, like, first the, the the head of the tourism board of Dubai, so they explain you what they do. I mean, in terms of pure marketing, it's brilliant. Yeah, it is good. It uh, is good. And I was lucky. It was, again, the time from Tim Clark to be on uh, this podcast, this channel, interviewed by, I don't remember his name, he's a very good interviewer. He is good. And uh, there's a few few things that I learned that were really good. So first, he, he mentioned that uh, all the 772s will be reconfigured in two class. We mentioned that a few episodes ago. He says why they bought uh, the Dreamliners. He said uh, they retired the 332s, the 345s, and they are retiring some of the 777-200s. And so they need something smaller. So he admits that you know they also need for some route something a bit smaller. And yeah. they're very happy with, with buying them. He mentioned that there's clearly an integration fly Dubai because now on some medium route you might be flying fly Dubai. You'll be warned about it. It's not as if you know you'd think you fly uh, uh, Emirates Metal, yeah. but that the, the integration will be there. You'll be able to do it and, and earn miles and everything. So it's clearly it's a close integration. And the most interesting thing probably that we knew was coming. They're introducing premium economy. Yes, yeah, that's that's going to be very interesting because it will be. 
Very good. <laughs> yeah, uh, probably. They already know where it is. That's an interesting thing. So it's not going to come before 2020, I think. But he clearly said that they still have to make the numbers work. So I don't know maybe how many aircrafts will have it or which routes. Yeah. But as for the product, they already know the product and they also know where it's going to be seated in the, the 380s. Ah. So they will it be upstairs in the front where you know some of the now two classes uh 380s have uh economy I mean, because what, that would make more sense wouldn't it because you cannot put it i mean you cannot you could but if you put it in the back of the upper deck then you don't have access to the bar which yeah, is one no, of the selling points yeah so i don't know anyway interesting that they'll, they'll do that uh which makes me by the way think that the u.s since all of them are actually the three majors are introducing premium economy as well. I think yes. Delta is the slowest, but they all are going premium economy, which is something that we, for once, uh, Europe is a bit in advance. We probably have all the uh, all the airlines. Everybody, here. yeah, yeah, all the majors have some sort of intermediary product yeah. or intermediate product. He also says two things about the future of uh, air travel, Alex. One is that he doesn't believe that uh, he will see supersonic flight in his lifetime. Okay, he's older than us, but <laughs> he says uh, he's not sure that the economics will work in the short term. Uh, although he said he would be glad to have a 380 doing uh, Dubai-Sydney three hours. Yeah, so wouldn't we all? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's also unsure, and that I agree with him as well, about the planes going full electric. He says, yeah, that's also a long way out before yeah. they can uh, have enough, you know, carry enough power to sustain a seven hours. Flight. I'm much more skeptical about, not skeptical, that's not the right word. Uh, I think realistic in the, in the terms, in long term about electric than I am about supersonic. I think, I think we will see supersonic flight in our lifetime. It's possible. Concorde has done it. It's just the economics of it yeah. needs to be now uh, needs to be redone. But I think it's totally, of course, feasible. So we'll I do see. too. Uh, and the last one that you will hate that he said, he said, yeah, he's just questioning. He's not saying it's going to happen, but uh, he says that since the technology of virtual windows is so good, and we know they have them in first class, in their newer first class, that you can fly from Stansted uh, in June and Geneva and Brussels right now. He says that, well, you know what? Removing the windows altogether is not maybe a bad idea because it actually reduces the weight of the aircraft, augments the, you know, the air penetration, so the slimness of uh, mm-hmm. the, the the profile of the aircraft and uh, and you can probably offer a very very similar experience by using virtual windows and that is something that could actually work he says also that if you don't have windows aircraft will probably be able to fly higher less you know air so thus faster and probably also less fuel consumption he's not saying it's going to happen but he's saying it's something, something that we should think, think about. about. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I'd say no, but yeah. <laughs> I haven't flown with the virtual windows. I may say this is amazing, or I may say hell no. <laughs> um, there is something. I'll tell you this very quickly. I flew a simulator, full motion simulator, Cathay triple seven two hundred years ago, and we were shooting the Kaitak approach, and we did it once, landed, and then it reset. So you fly and you're landed and you're sitting at the end of the runway and all of a sudden, and it's a very realistic experience, obviously, we click and you're back at 3,000 feet doing 200 knots. That was really disconcerting feeling. Wow. So if you, you know, you can imagine 
the monitor, like the APU switches and all of a sudden the monitor flickers and what you think is reality, you are reminded in a very uh, jarring manner is not. (laughs) Yeah, no, indeed. Oh, wow. I don't know, man. Yeah. I mean, for us, maybe because we've been used to have Windows, we, we will never get used to it. I don't know. Brother, that's a very, very good point. There may be a generation that goes, eh, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they also go into hyperloops, you know, these things that go underground. Yeah, at that's, speeds, true. that's true. And they will also have no Windows no, they, and, yeah. and also virtual things that appear. I don't know. I, I'm still saying that Emirates maybe and some of the traditional airlines, but uh, Ryanair Southwest will have advertising just there, and I just want to don't want to see that. No, <laughs> someone will f- yeah, or, and then someone will figure out how to how to hack it. Oh, we need to reset the virtual windows the way they reset, you know, your IFE. Yeah, so, yeah. Sorry, you're being like in full darkness for it the would just 30 be, minutes. You know, the bl- blue screen of death because it's <laughs> Windows XE and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, Tete Anders on Facebook has uh, told us, uh, and she's right. I should have mentioned it that uh, she said I heard you talked about how to get to Abu Dhabi flying with Emirates and not Etihad. And says you can book a free bus service. And it's true. If you put even the destination uh, as Abu Dhabi in uh, Emirates booking system, we will offer you a flight to Dubai and then automatically offer you a bus That's service cool. to, to Abu Dhabi. Of course, if you're in business class or in first class and you have access to the chauffeur drive service, Abu Dhabi is within the limits of what they do. So you can use that. But otherwise, it's a free bus service. Uh, and I could do it because I said I want to see the Louvre there. Depending on traffic, it could be an hour and 10 minutes drive or four hours. Yeah, right? yeah. God, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you can do it. So there you go. Uh, so since we're in the US and still about Emirates, the US had announced they had made a deal with Qatar about, you know, opening their books and uh, applying like international standards of accounting. Well, the same deal is seemingly happening with both Etihad and Emirates, yes. which I promised the same. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what that yields. I think it will have given all parties involved enough time to uh, <laughs> paint a picture, if you will, of, of exactly what they want the world to know. But uh, I think this was an elegant, everybody saves face way of putting this whole thing to bed yeah exactly so everybody kind of wins uh there's no clause in these agreements to say that neither etihad you know etihad is not doing that well but at least emirates there's there's no clause that forbids them to increase routes to the u.s but we know that they kind of said they won't yeah uh, so no no more fifth freedom for the moment so besides athens and milan there's nothing coming up ugh. so well ugh, as well indeed i might actually do the athens one soon i hope so uh it will be actually before we record next because it will be in that three weeks ah, the um there's no clause but again i, I think it's a more like a gentleman's agreement obviously the you know the what's the name of the airline for america whatever the lobby group in the u.s is oh, like yeah. we won we won we showed you know, whatever. Anyway, uh, Chris Grow, whom we will invite uh, soon uh, on, uh, we runs Runway.vc, which is both an organization that helps uh, airlines and the air travel industry innovate, but also runs a podcast. I was on it uh, recently. He, he was like, he was surprised. He said uh, of the deal. He said, uh, "Why would uh, Emirates offer a glimpse of their books? You know, because probably." And, and I was saying, exactly like you, think not only. You can show whatever you want to show, but I also probably think that Emirates actually is, there's nothing that much to hide anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah probably- well, exactly. And I think also, I mean, as we've just said with the whole uh, Sydney Qantas thing, Emirates are not stupid. This no. was clearly a good deal for them 
to, to to put you know it was it was even if they 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 think slash know that they're right, this was easier and better than fighting it. And probably you know when Trump visited uh, the Middle East and afterwards everything happened, the blockade of Qatar, the you know the new kind of direction in Saudi Arabia, and of course UAE being closed. All this was probably already like talk like let's find a gentleman's agreement. Everybody kind of save face. Everybody's a bit happy. There's a small win for everyone. Yeah, and that's because I believe, especially for the U.S. and the airline industry in the U.S., the big question mark at a big player now is China. It's no more yes. the ME3. So probably want to go and focus on China. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So I hope this is the end of this petty back and forthery, but we'll see. Yeah. Though one thing to mention, interestingly, one of the biggest complaints, uh, and it was from all the other airlines uh, about DXB, was that DXB's rules from fees, you know, landing fees, were saying that you had a different type of landing fee if you were just connecting than if you were actually landing. So obviously, all the others were simply landing. So British Airways and lands in Dubai, that's your final destination. Yeah. Most of the passengers from Emirates were transiting, making Dubai cheaper for them. And apparently, they will kind of level that. I don't know. That's what I heard. Uh, so that's probably one of the little things they gave in order to have this, again, win-win. Fair thing. enough, I guess. Yeah, I guess, you know. You know, at the end of the day, I think, I believe, I don't know, your father would probably know that better, but I believe that this industry is pretty small at the end of the day. So everybody kind of knows exactly what tricks the other ones are using. Everybody kind of knows as well, because Chris was telling me, yeah, so basically Emirates will have to disclose how much they paid for each aircraft. And I'm like, yeah, but in this industry, the kind of discounts, at least roughly, everybody knows Yeah. It's not as if it's a big secret. No, exactly. And people move from one airline to another in their career and they do the same role. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, interestingly as well seen on Emirates sorry to bore you guys about Emirates because I've been flying them a lot flying them again um, Emirates is removing uh, some aircraft from the fleet uh, and uh, they're storing them at uh, Al Maktoum at DWC I think there's 11 777s 1380 uh, that, were, that were put aside in April in May 14 777 and in June uh, so this is going to be next month they're going to put aside uh, so store 6 A380s and a lot of people People read that as being, well, they have a capacity issue. They're not flying as many people as they used to. Well, in the same podcast uh, and also on the FT, Tim Clark kind of basically gave the answer. He says, we are a tad short on pilots. That's interesting, isn't it? So it's got nothing to do with they they don't want to fly or can't fill airplanes. It's they don't have anybody to drive them. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so the the article on the FT, again, can I send it to me? So I want to acknowledge him. Uh, it's the Chinese. The Chinese are offering super high salaries. So basically the same thing that the AMU 3 was doing for the past 10 years against Europe. Well, now the Chinese are poaching. <laughs> it's funny, right? <laughs> it is funny. Actually, weird uh, observation. I did four turns. I uh, know. Wow. Four flights on BA recently, three in one day last week. And two, no, three of the, of the pilots, I don't know if they were captains or first officers making the announcement, were not British. Or not, you know, didn't have, they had yeah. foreign? So one was uh, Canadian, one was American, and one was from New Zealand. Huh. See, and that's the first time I've ever had that on all the flying I've done on BA. Obviously, with Mark <laughs> Van Oniker, it would be different because he's American. Uh, but uh, no, that was, I think that was unusual. And I wonder if that's a reflection of, that airlines are casting their nets wider for experienced pilots. Yeah, there's a war of talents, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah clearly. Clearly. Uh, 
Two last things uh, about it, uh, about Emirates. First, uh, guys at Dubai, the one thing that is truly becoming the bottleneck in, in Dubai, if you ever transit at Terminal 3, which is the Emirates Terminal, is the security within the terminal. When you land and you want to transit, they go make you pass the security point. It seems to me, by the way, that 10 years ago, when I started flying, there was no such security. But now it's really become like super long. Trick, though. Uh, they say uh, that you need to remove your stuff, but trust me, you can leave your liquids in, it will pass. You can leave your computers in, it will pass. You can basically leave pretty much everything in your luggage. <laughs> Is that good? I can't tell if that's good or not. I don't know, but it seems to be working because now I'm just playing the game. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to remove anything and, and see what happens. And nothing happens. And it, I mean, you still have to remove your belt. I mean, because you have to go through the, the metal. Yeah. Yeah. But for the luggage, nope. So that's a trick, guys. But it's still a bit slow. Uh, so final comment about Emirates. The chairman of the group. So uh, Sheikh Al Maktoum has dismissed the rumors that they will uh, merge with Etihad, who's struggling. So at least there's that. I don't know if it's he's just saying that as a... Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I, don't know. I would read too much into that one. And we know that Etihad is basically rejiggering the entire order book. So they had a lot of orders in play and they're either delaying some of them, canceling others, putting a lot of stuff on hold. So really, Etihad is, I don't know where they're going. Honestly. Yeah, I don't know where they're going either. I think, you know, they've gone through some leadership change as well. And that's what we're seeing is probably the fruit of that of that change. So once they've righted the ship, as it were, will be interesting to see what they do strategically and what, what announcements they make. Uh, I don't know if you follow, guys, uh, Dave Waltzworth on Twitter. He's a 380BA pilot, and he's very active on Twitter, also active on Instagram. Like, he's lovely because he's very positive. He also answers a lot of questions on Twitter about, you know, stuff they do, how do we fly. You've written the article that I've sent you, Alex, the Captain Dave. So uh, good. About uh, how to land the largest passenger aircraft in the world, which describes how to land a 380. Uh, it just, it's really fantastic. The One thing I didn't know, uh, which you cannot tend to realize now when he says it, it's pretty obvious, is that the the speed, the approach speed of the 380 is actually much slower yeah. than uh, 747, 767, 777s, and Dreamliners. And you can feel, you know, because it seems sometimes when you look at them, or even if you're inside, that at the end, it's like almost like floating, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, it's, and I, I was shocked by that. I, I I couldn't get over it. You do, you would assume that because it's so massive and and which is so massive that it needs to be moving much faster. But then, of course, you look at the size of the wing and yeah. realize, you know, it's a it's a marvel of aeronautical engineering because it's so efficient. Clearly, that, yeah. is, that stat just reinforces it. Yeah, it's a, so it's a great article. Read it and follow him mm. uh, if you can. He also indicates that most of the time, actually, they, 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 they land the 380 with, uh, on manual, so they don't use Autoland because he says that uh, Autoland is great when it's foggy, you know, in special conditions. Yeah. But other ones that if they were to use Autoland in normal conditions, that forces the airport to place additional restrictions, uh, especially to avoid uh, signal interference. And thus, it will actually uh, have less landings oh, per hour. Oh, that's interesting. I had no yeah. idea. 
I had no idea either. And he just said at the end, you know what? It's a great plane to land, so I'd like to do it myself and not let the robot doing it. <laughs> 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 That's actually... And they, the the reason I mentioned him is linked to Emirates is that they had a, uh, recently a BA380, I think, coming from Singapore to, to London, had a medical emergency. And he went on, just go on his uh, Twitter at Dave Walsworth. He was really explaining... Everything that happened, they had to reroute. They decided to reroute to Dubai. And in Dubai, the, he said that Emirates was amazing, you know, the ground staff to help them not only you know, do the rerouting, but take care of the person who was taken ill and everything. It, it was the first time a BA380 ever landed in Dubai. Wow. <laughs> I, I'm always, I know there's protocol and I know that there's playbooks for basically any scenario. But when things like that happen, I'm always so impressed by how smoothly those things seem to happen. happen. Yeah. It, you know, I admire people whose brains work like that because mine mine sure doesn't. But I, I, <laughs> I just admire that. And I think it's, it's really impressive. And two things uh, I learned. One was that a Apparently, it's illegal to take pictures at DXB. I mean, I don't know because I've seen so many of them, so I'm really I, not sure. I'll tell you what. I've been, I was hauled into a police station at DXB for doing exactly that. Just a picture or filming? Picture. Wow. Yep. In what, airside? No. Or? I was actually, uh, you know, when you come out of the airport and you're going up towards the metro station, there's like a, yep. there's like a landing right yep. before you go up the next set of escalators to the platform there. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I've taken so many pictures. I'm going to be arrested next time now. Uh, I've, I've taken so many pictures. I mean, just because the design inside is pretty cool. It's this grand, massive oh, yeah, thing. Oh, it's, it's spectacular. And and I've taken, of course, a few pictures of uh, planes parked, like the 318 in front of me or whatever. So I never... You know, I know that summer... It's not the only one. There's a lot of airports, but there's a lot of restrictions. But I assume that as long as you're doing stuff, which is like simply where passengers are walking and not going to restricted areas, you'd be fine. So, yeah. wow. I didn't know that. What, 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 so, did they just ask you to delete the picture? No, they're like, why are you filming? And I was like, no, I'm taking pictures. Why are you taking pictures? And like, have you looked around? It's amazing. <laughs> and like, well, well, you know, don't do it again. Uh, wow. uh, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, there they are the rules. So yeah, no, of course. it is no, what it is, but yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting experience. They didn't ask to look at the pictures, nor did they ask me to delete them. Because at the end of the day, they know that so many people take pictures of yeah. these things. I mean, they were not, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not taking a judgment here. I'm saying that how can you limit people from taking pictures in an airport? Yeah, I think it was a, uh, it is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. Exactly. Uh, the, the head of the Dubai airports, Paul Griffiths, says... That instead of building a third runway at Heathrow, just just should let it be a twenty four seven airport. I don't know if I agree with that. Of course, they say that because their own airport is twenty four seven. You know, I live on now. Kind of, kind of hear the planes sometimes when they land, especially when they take off, especially the older ones. They're, I'm not directly, as you guys know, if you've been listening for a long time, as I used to be, like right on the landing. But I don't know. I mean. You know what? It's a bit self-serving because when I flew back to London after being in Dubai, I took the first flight out. It's a flight that leaves at 2.30 in the morning to arrive at 7 a.m. in London. And uh, there's nothing else before because obviously the airport is closed. So you you have to stay until 2 a.m. in Dubai to be flying back to the UK. Yeah. If the airport was open 24-7, you could leave at, I don't know, like 9 p.m. and land at 2 a.m. or something. And maybe it's self-serving. Maybe it's just saying that to say that. I don't know. It's, yeah, I don't, I... 
whatever they do, they need to do something quickly. And I, you know, I, I flew out of <laughs> Gatwick a lot in the last couple of weeks, and I like that airport. And God, do they need a third, a second runway as well? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I fully agree with that. So, what did you? You had a lot of flights. Let's the Norwegian. Let's put it aside because I want to come to that a bit later. But you flew to Dublin. Yeah, I did Budapest before Chicago, and that was on BA, and it was fine. The cool thing about Budapest is we uh, chartered a helicopter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This wonderful old airport that uh, was the original airport. I think it opened in 1943. Grass field runway, but they've got a beautiful DC-3 in Malev colors and an Antonov-2, which still flies. Uh, and anyway, um, there's a there's a local flying club there, a flight school, a, a Soviet-era military junkyard. Wow. So this guy just buys these airplanes and keeps them all stacked up, as well as this helicopter company. Uh, and we, and they're called Fly for Less, which is a disconcerting name, but they were very, very good. Uh, we took up a Eurocopter and our pilot was ex-Hungarian Air Force attack wow. helicopter pilot. So he, and he also was able to get special dispensation for us to fly 150 feet over the city, which no one else can do. And so we got some pretty spectacular footage zipping along the the rooftops of, of Budapest because that's closed airspace, but he was able to to get it for us. I need to do that. I want to be in that freaking it copter was once. So <laughs> cool. So cool. So yeah, I recommend those guys a lot. Fly for less in, in Budapest. And it's only like 20 minute taxi ride from the sort of center of Budapest or the or the pest side of, of Budapest of the river. Um, but yeah, I, I flew to Dublin and back in a day and then straight on it to Oslo. And it was my first time doing a transfer in T5. I'd never done that before. I did it for, uh, from four to three, but never within T5. And it's kind of ingenious the way that they've they've done it. You come off the airplane and no one checks your boarding pass or anything. You go through this door. There's never a check with Dublin because you have this special agreement between the UK and Ireland, right? You, so you go don't, through you... immigration at Dublin Airport. When oh, London okay. to, to do to Dublin, you go through immigration to get into Dublin. And I was traveling on my American passport, so it took for flipping oh, okay. ever. That's another story. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, and then I came back and into t5 on the 20 the 2x gates which are on the yep. what is it the south side, side. Of, correct of terminal five and you you walk all these corridors you go through the the boarding pass gates right before you go through to security and then you sort of end up it spits you out at just the normal security oh, okay. in t5 uh, you come through this door which i'm sure we've all looked at a million times and then you're at security like everybody else and then you go go to your gate so it was very smooth and very very easy i came at a really quiet time there wasn't much going on like six o'clock at night uh and then flew up to flew up to oslo but i i have to say this i think it's important to get this on record i took four flights in a week on ba all four of them were early not on time early all four of the crews were exemplary, friendly, courteous, assertive, did the whole look at the iPad, call me by my name thing. The food is what it is. The thing that bothers me slightly is that you only get a cold meal or a microwave panini is the hot thing, but no one wants to eat that <laughs> um, on the evening flights. But they were all great. They all boarded on time. They all boarded promptly. They all boarded in a manner that I liked. You know, so you status people boarded first. 
They were all really, really good. Forget the product. It is what it is. They've got no control over that. No, but, plus at the end of the day, when it's a short haul, because what Oslo is two hours or whatever, uh, yeah. uh, and Dublin is an hour and whatever. We don't need uh, you know, fancy no. interiors or food or whatever. You want efficiency and kindness or yeah. civility or yeah, whatever. I, especially um, since I was connecting, you're always slightly more aware of punctuality. Uh, and and I, they were all... They were all on time. They were all friendly. They were, the the flight deck crew were all super communicative. We had an interesting experience coming back from Oslo. <laughs> it was like, I think our flight was at nine thirty local time, and we'd been up since six filming. So it was a, it was a long day. The plane was seventeen years old. It's a seventeen year old A three ten, which has got to be one of their oldest planes. It didn't feel it feel you know, the old, yeah, but then they rarely do with BA. But uh, they. They couldn't turn off the boarding music. Oh yeah, <laughs> you told me. <laughs> and and they they couldn't turn off. They couldn't dim the lights. Oh my god! And none of the reading lights were working. So, control alt delete. Yeah, please. pretty much. Like you're like. So they tried a few things on the ground. Nothing worked, but they didn't want to miss their slot. So they got us up in the air. I had noise canceling headphones on. So the, the not dimming. Not dimming is a little bit disappointing because there's such wonderful views at this time of year. Yeah. Because it's like twilight the whole flight. That was annoying. The boarding music, I was like, if you don't have headphones on and you're you're <laughs> sitting there and this is playing for two hours, I think you'd go slightly insane. And then I think it got to the point where the captain was like, okay, this is even getting on my nerves. So they, to use a, a piece of jargon that's totally inaccurate, they pulled the panel mid-flight. So they shut everything down and the cabin went completely dark and silent mid-flight somewhere over the north sea while they tried to reset the system Uh, and so for like maybe three minutes all of the uh lights so the no smoking sign the seatbelt sign all of the the lights showing you the row numbers were cycling through all of their various (laughs) states as this system um, rebooted itself and it worked it fixed the problem so then the the cabin that everything dimmed to what it was supposed to do and the 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 reading lights worked and mercifully the boarding music stopped but I, that was my first I've had that on the ground many, many times yeah but me th- too but that, never on flight yeah <laughs> I mean I had the IFE like it happens sometimes but uh, I wish and you know there's always that these two situations uh, you have let's say more modern airlines and where which is your own IFE that they're rebooting and older airlines where they're because yours doesn't work you the feel guilty because they, <laughs> or i even had the whole freaking cabin once oh yeah yeah then you were like, instantly unpopular person right there oh my god i was like i don't want to see i don't want anyone to see that's me that started this whole thing you know but it was like a 12 hour flight so i needed some movies or whatever anyway uh, were you two things were you flying because you mentioned were you flying so t5 all the time or did you also fly from t3 uh Good question. No, because T5 we had, we, all the way. Okay, because we had, we had these uh, discussion. I think we also hinted at it like in the last episode, or maybe it was just you and me over over messages. Because he, uh, all my flights this month with uh, with BA are T3. I'm uh, going Budapest to, was T3. 
Yeah, I'm going tomorrow to Barcelona and flying for staying there one day and it's D3. And, you know, most of the time it's D3 for these kind of flights. It's a, I mean, first it shows that T5 is a capacity issue and they need a T6 or something, but also that's sometimes you don't know, you have to pay attention. To Dude, yeah, it, it actually screwed me on. Yeah, you. Because uh, <laughs> my stupid ass didn't look and, and I assumed it was T5, so booked my parking and hotel there. And of course it was T3. But. The silver lining to that cloud is Cathay First Lounge. Yeah, Cathay First Lounge, exactly. <laughs> uh, since you mentioned the crew, uh, I, I know, sorry, guys, because I keep talking in Emirates, but I want to just especially just give a shout out to the crew with, from Singapore to Dubai because that was exactly the kind of behavior, demeanor that made me fall in love with Emirates back almost 10 years ago now uh, because they were willing, they were fun, they were you know very professional but not taking themselves too seriously. Very similar to what you just said. It was super efficient, super nice. They were, everyone was willing and doing, it was like probably my best flight this year. And again, like, and I know we say that in every episode, we bore our audience with that. It was not a product. It was not the food. It was not the movies that I was watching. Yeah. It was the crew, the smiles, the, the, the professionalism. It, it was such amazing. such a difference. I think they sometimes forget how much I mean, power is not. Yeah. I mean, it, it, they can make or break an experience. And more often for me, it's, it's make. They, you know, if the, they have no control over what the hard yeah. product is, but they can still give you a great flight. So yeah, I'll, I'll tell you uh, in the next episode, whenever that is, um, I'm doing BA again tomorrow. I'm very looking forward to it. Uh, the only thing is, for some reason, I cannot check in on my mobile. I've had that app. Uh, recently too. Keep saying no, you can't. Uh, I mean, I can't. so here, you just reminded me of something completely crazy that happened on my flight that I was bitching to you about uh, while I was in Dublin, but actually caught me out. Oh, yeah, yeah, I had it on my nose. Go ahead. Go so ahead. this is this is. Are you ready, guys? This is this exciting nerd, you know. Gasm right here. <laughs> so I had booked a flight just to go to Norway and back, and something came up when I needed to go to Dublin. So I kept my other flight open because somebody else was on the ticket and I couldn't cancel them. I couldn't split them without a lot of faffery. So I just left it. And as soon as I hadn't checked in for my first flight, it would cancel the remaining segments. That's how it works. So guys, don't miss your first flight. When I got to Dublin, I finished my commitment there very early and went to the airport to see if they would put me on an early flight because there was a flight leaving about an hour and 10 minutes after I arrived at the airport. And they looked up and they're like, oh, yeah, there's plenty of room. Uh, that'll be 190 euros and you'll be downgraded on your next segment from Heathrow to Oslo. And I was like, well, what? what? You can't just put me on the flight. I'm, you know, not to be a jerk about it, but I'm in business class. I'm a gold card holder. Surely this is some kind of perk. I mean, you're not losing anything by putting me on an earlier flight. On an earlier flight, and I would I would have been happy to go in economy for the short route, and then now 190 euros. 190 euros? Yeah, 190 euros. I thought that was a bizarre thing, but she she tried it to to look at, and 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 it again, it wasn't the lady's fault that was helping me. It's just a policy, apparently. But she had checked me out to see if she could put me on the flight. And didn't check me back in. So I got through security and I try and board. And they're like, that's funny. It, it says you're not on this flight. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, no, 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 that's no, fine. The seat was never unblocked. So I'll just add you to the seat and, and on you go. And I thought, oh, that's just salt in the wounds. Anyway, fine. I get to my flight from Heathrow to Oslo. And they're like, that's weird. It says you're not on this flight. And I was like, what <laughs> is happening? 
the same thing. He's like, no, it's no problem. I just reallocate you to that seat. But when I got to Oslo airport and checked in, they scanned the boarding pass. It tried to check me in on that original trip for which I no showed on the first segment. Oh, wow. And I was like, that's a little odd. Yeah, a little. <laughs> oh, my God. And so it took like three or four minutes of her tapping around on the computer to to unload me, quote unquote, from that flight as yeah. that person, which should have been canceled using a passport I didn't have with me. Oh, uh, yeah, because you had the other one. Yeah. yeah. And then sorted it out. But the most interesting part, and again, I'll, and I'll shut up with the story in a second, was I was not excited about entering the UK as a British citizen on my US passport. I just thought 10.30 at night, this is going to cause some poor immigration officer a real yeah. headache. And I did a little and research. I have every right to enter the country on my US passport as a course. British citizen, especially since I'm leaving again on Tuesday. There's nothing to stop me. But it did mean filling out a landing card. Uh, <laughs> fast track had already closed because it closed oh. at 10 and I landed at 10.30. And the queue for non-EU citizens moves really slowly. So Always, I got in there yeah. and I was like, okay, I had to be patient. My British passport was getting a visa with another embassy, so I couldn't. And I, I saw an immigration officer sitting in, you know, in T5 immigration, they've got that kind of holding pen in the middle correct? Uh, where they take people that need a little bit extra time. There was a person sitting there. I said, can I just get your advice on this? I said, I'm a, I'm a British citizen. My British passport is with a, another embassy. I'm an American citizen. I have my American passport. I'm leaving on Tuesday. And you can see his colleague behind him starting to laugh. <laughs> and I was like, I filled out a landing card. I've waited in the queue. And the guy just, he's like, you don't want to wait with all that nonsense. Just give me a moment. Takes my passport into the office, processes oh. it himself. And I had a, a copy of my UK passport, photocopy. Processes my entry into the UK on my UK passport. Wow. Yeah. Comes back and says, here you go, man. And escorts me through all the barriers to baggage claim. And he That's says- That's awesome. It was awesome. It was, it, was, it was so great. It was such a great experience with, with UK border folks. And he said, because you had a copy of your passport, it made this whole thing way easier. So yeah, of course. If anybody is in that like massively unusual- situation where you just keep a copy of your passport. And yeah, thank uh, you, thank you, thank you to the UK border team for being so cool about that. The, the copy of your passport anyway, I think is a good thing to have. I have an electronic copy on me, but yeah, it's a great thing. I mean, I'm lucky, or I mean, some people will actually hate that, but uh, as a Swiss, I have an ID card as well. So not only do I have multiple passports, but even if I want to stay Swiss, in Europe, the ID card is enough, but then I cannot here. use the e-gate with the ID card. I still have to go through the normal queue yeah. thing, right? Still, good for them. Thank you. Yeah, good. And also, because you had a little exchange on Twitter about this uh, particular set of flights you did, there was a friend, uh, Stuart, at Brookie Boy on Twitter, who was so happy to have flown a brand new one-month-old BA320neo. He did Barcelona Heathrow. So maybe I have hope. Maybe I'll do it. Actually, I have oh, yeah, as yeah. well. But one of your flights was an even newer one. I forgot about that. Uh, <laughs> we we got onto the plane from back from Budapest, which was late, very late. And the captain came on and did his, you know, apologized. And, and flights at the end of the day can often just get knock-on delays. And he said, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get you there as fast as we can. But this plane joined the BA fleet this morning. That's awesome. So, we had done a couple of turns and... It was it was a neo, 
very quiet. Other than that, nothing else is different. Did he smell fresh it, and it new? It smelled fresh. And uh, one of the massive benefits, at least for me, was that every row had power outlets. Yeah, that's the thing with the Neos, yeah. Which was great. And Greg and I, Greg, who was flying with me, who does attache with me, both commented that the seats were very uncomfortable because they hadn't been broken in yet. Oh, yeah. They were factory stiff. But it was cool. (laughs) It was neat to be like, that's by far, other than a Virgin America airplane, which was kind of pre-passenger flight, that was the new, by far the newest airplane I'd ever been in. That was, it was neat to be able to do that. Thank you for reminding me of that. Oh, well, I hope I can do that actually tomorrow because yeah, at least yeah. a 320 Neo because, uh, and the same story says actually he thinks that the exit row seats is a better deal than uh, Club Europe. And I get it. We were in yeah. an exit row and I 100% agree with that. In some cases, rare, but some cases, if uh, Club Europe, so business class is pretty busy, you can even have both. You can be in an exit row seat in, in business, uh, yeah, in I've business had that class. once. Super, super rare. Sometimes on 321s, actually, that happens. And he offered as well a few other things. He said that the, the lounge in Barcelona is awful. So I, I don't know. I'm going to try that, actually, in two days. So, I can't sure, remember what the lounge I, is like. I, I've been to... I've, I think I've been, you know, the one time I used to go, and I think you've come with me once, was it? Yeah, uh, yeah. To Mobile World Congress. Yes. The problem with Mobile World Congress is that the lounges, there's more people in the lounge on the yeah, airport because awesome. everybody has status and it's impossible. I, I don't, you simply don't go. The, that will be a normal time. So we'll be able to judge uh, what uh, what it is I, I, I actually. So, well, anyway, one thing he mentioned, and then I'll move on from Stuart, he mentioned that. He had an odd experience that they had to wait to disembark the plane because BA wanted to remove the cargo first. And I wonder why that could be. There must have been something sensitive or dangerous in the cargo. Yeah. Uh, If anybody's – Will, maybe this is something that you know, Mm -hmm. given your cargo handling pass. But if anybody else knows what that might be, that's a really interesting mystery. Maybe a lot of lithium-ion battery. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you've seen that because I've seen that in my Lufthansa flight, in my BA flights, in my Swiss flights. I'm not sure about uh, Emirates. I'll listen to it on Friday when I fly. They now say that if your yes. phone is becoming too hot, let us know. If you see smoke, let us know. I mean, they really emphasize- Norwegian do the same thing, very uh, like a separate announcement. In the past year, we already had heard stuff like, if you lose your phone in the seat, do not attempt to to take it yourself. Just ask a member of the crew because otherwise it blocks the entire thing, which was already probably happens a lot because these things are super slippery. (laughs) But you know what? I actually had, I don't remember which flight, but anyway, it doesn't matter. My iPhone X, I had been using it quite a lot and it was, yeah, it was Dubai. It was hot. The photo, you know, the photo app would not boot and it said, the iPhone X said, there was an alert saying, your phone is too, I don't remember the wording, so I'm paraphrasing, your phone is too hot, wait for it to cool down. Wow. Yeah, I've, I've had that with my old phone, my, my 6S, and they, it has to be pretty hot for it to do that. No, it was, and I could feel it actually in my hand. It was not exploding, but it was like, yeah, I can yeah, understand what, this, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I don't want that to happen <laughs> or anything. So uh, thank God Apple has probably, you know, put these kind of limits and probably the Samsung, the, the good brands, but, you know, Chinese... No, nothing against Chinese because I think Chinese phones are the reason everybody can have a phone. It's great to have a phone for 35 bucks, but uh, yeah. some of them might not be as uh, good quality as a Samsung. Or, yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Anyway, I have a few mentions on Twitter. Uh, first, we had uh, John Young. I love his, his, his Twitter handle. 1JY, so three letters. Yeah. So jealous. Crazy. Talk about <laughs> your mastication nation. I want that. He also has a three letter username on Flickr. Wow. Like the airline. That's just, I'm so jealous of you, John. Actually, I do Early have, adopter. 
I have two three-letter uh, usernames on, on Twitter that I've never used. They're parked, and I'm logging in to not lose them. Uh, <laughs> so he said he discovered Layovers podcast after episode 60, and this week I finally caught up on all the episodes. Oh, my God. It is, you, thank you, guys, wow. for doing like, things like this. And he's thanking us, and he also he says that he's going to uh, start Mastication Nation now. <laughs> well, there's a lot less to go through there, so good luck. <laughs> And also on Instagram, Slavo, uh, it was a personal message, sent me, Paul, it's great that what you guys do about our podcast. Uh, and he says that we actually met in Astana back, I think it was 2014. Yeah. And that's why he's listening, because I, I must have mentioned layovers back then. And that's why he's <laughs> that's listening. So cool. So, I love it. You know, this small, he works actually at Skoda Innovation. I mean, stuff, oh, wow. stuff. Yeah, yeah. So... You know, you know, guys, it's always great, you know, these feedback because we're talking in front of the microphone. I see Alex on the other side of the screen. He sees me. And we always kind of like so happy to know that even like if it's five people, but they are listening. <laughs> because it's always so nice. Um, Daniel Tan at Dan Tan Dan underscore on Twitter said that only recently found layovers and I am now on a mission to get through all 70 existing episodes. 10 down so far. Wow. Pain. <laughs> you got, you guys need to come down to Australia to test out some of our business. One hundred percent. So 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 agree. Uh, and he, he added something. He, he actually travels with a violin. So you know my whole story about taking the space on the overhead bin. It was like for me. He says it's always difficult because with the violin, obviously, he wants to get in first. But also the violin, due to its you know size and how it looks like, it actually takes a lot of space. It makes a lot of passengers unhappy. And I said, you know what? I'd happily give space for some of the violin absolutely very noble i'd much rather give that to to a violin than somebody who's clearly pushed the hand baggage limits to absurdity Uh, since we just mentioned both the seats that were a bit stiff, the space in the overhead had been something for our friend Kendall. Uh, so Congress has renewed the FAA funding for five years, which is actually pretty good. So the FAA, the Federal uh, Administra- Aviation Administration, it's good because it hadn't been done for such a long time. So it's now there's like they have funding for five years are set. It says that the FAA will have to rule on seat pitch. Ah, Aha. that was that's going to be a, a fun fight to watch. I don't remember exactly how it works. The Senate has to also agree. They can still maybe remove that bit. But it could be that the FAA will have to make some type of statement and rule about the size of your seats. So Good. let's see where that goes. Yeah, yeah. And and so kudos to Flyer Rats at Kendall because clearly your lobbying did it's work. Working, yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. The the seven eighty seven Rolls Royce engine. That story actually, we were at the cusp of it because it seems that now not a single day passes on without having some new addition. Yeah. Some, so uh, BA is unretiring some uh, 747s because they need to have capacity. Uh, our friend Sunil at Glucode on Instagram had his uh, selfie taken in the fly deck of a 747. I should need to do that. I never asked anyone, but I should simply yeah. just go. And, and he was talking to the... The pilots, and of course, the pilots were super happy that the 747s were unretired. Yes. (laughs) It's a good thing they got to them before they turned them into beer cans as well. Perfect transition to Virgin Atlantic, who is 
unretiring and very, very, very old A340-600 for the same reason uh, they need capacity. And that's it's like more than 20 years. Yeah. Uh, ouch. If you look at the uh, next time you guys fly out of Heathrow, if you look on the south side of the airfield in between T4 and the cargo terminal, there is a very sad looking Virgin Dreamliner with its engines all tarped up. Yep. Yeah, pretty much in the air, like same in Haneda, same in Auckland, same in Sydney, same in LA with all these airlines that have these planes that are, are unflyable at the moment. You know, Highfly is actually winning that game because yeah, I, I think I mentioned last time, but Highfly is leasing planes left and right, right, to uh, to compensate for that big thing. So uh, it's well, I mean, the, this ETOPS limitation is really hitting. Even we said that BA was less hit, but induces uh, reroutings because you still yep. have to be close to airports, so it's longer routes to go to places, etc. And BA is uh, leasing uh, again. Qatar Airways aircraft, and last time were 320s, but this time they will be 330s. So 330s, 200s, yeah. and 300s. I don't know what mix. It'd be interesting to see what what when those come online. So not the, not the Q suites, unfortunately, but still a very good product. Uh, yeah, they're the oldest. You know, I've flown both. Uh, so in business class, one of the, the kind of, you know, this old type kind of shell. Yeah. Uh, so it's 222. It's pretty good because it's pretty, it's not exactly life flight, but it's good. It's going to be very good. interesting to see what route they deploy those on. But the other one is uh, 232. It's life flat, but they're so narrow that makes United look like uh, Emirates first class. It's very narrow. So maybe not the best, but the interesting bit is they, they, so they're wet leasing. So there's the crew, everything. And I'm wondering, Alex, will they dare flying them to the US? <laughs> huh. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon they'll be used on mid-haul and maybe to... Uh, to the Indian subcontinent. That's yeah. my my completely ill-informed and uneducated guess. But, you know, at least it's a win-win because BA needs to have aircrafts. And we know that Qatar, because of that blockade, probably has aircrafts to play with. And so it's a win-win. Probably yeah, yeah I agree. I agree. Money. Al Baker said that if IAG bids for Norwegian, Qatar will back it. <sighs> no! <laughs> No, don't do that. <laughs> and where, which airport are you going to? To Moscow, to which one? Both. So Domodevo and Shermetievo. Yeah. What's the name? Yeah, okay. There's a third one, and Qatar is investing in that one, the Nukovo airport. Oh, yes, uh, yeah. They are buying 25% of it. So Qatar is now, you know... They're back to their ways. They have <laughs> So yeah. finally flown Norwegian. How was that? I did. I flew from Gatwick to, to Chicago and back, and I was super duper impressed. Easily the best transatlantic premium economy. Easily, not even a competition. Oh, I'm it, so it, happy you agree. Oh, wow. It's, okay. It's, it, it's, it's premium economy. Let's, it's, it's, it's not business class. It's no, not it's not. Like that. No. It's premium economy. And that's the archstick by which it should be measured. And it was so good. It was far more value than I was expecting. My, my planes were three and four months old. Oh, wow. Um, the food was outstanding. It, they were really sensible with the sort of deli style uh, boxes that they give you. I was I was just super impressed with the food. It was some of the most delicious food I've had on an airplane outside of business class on Cathay or Emirates. Oh wow! Irrespective that's, of class. Wow, that's a big statement. Yeah, wow. the service was was cheery, and I, and they got a real kick because I flew with the same crew in both directions, and they got a real kick out of seeing me board 
Because <laughs> yeah. I was there for a night and then flew back the next day. And they're like, wait, what the hell are you doing? And then I was like royalty for the rest of that flight. <laughs> um, the service was was friendly, efficient, sensible for the return leg, which was overnight. The seat was comfortable enough to sleep on. They don't give you eye patches and ear uh, plugs. Uh, and earplugs, which I brought my own because I think maybe it was you who told me that they didn't. So I brought my own. The only thing that was weak, I think, was the IFE. The screen was nice and big and crisp. There just wasn't a lot of content. Yeah, it's true. The moving map was was outstanding. It was great, yeah. Um, I had a seat next to me on both both ways, even though the return leg was otherwise completely full. I was just really impressed. Wow, wow, wow. Sorry. And I will fly and, – and it was like – it was so much cheaper because they don't have a Saturday night stairwell, which is genius on their part because the flights were, were rammed in both directions. And they, you have access to the lounge at the number one lounge at Gatwick, which is mm-hmm. okay. Is okay. It's not okay, great. It's not great. I agree. But at least you have a lounge, right? At least you have a lounge. And they have access to the Air France lounge at, at Chicago, which again is okay. They're in this, it's Terminal 5 at Chicago, which isn't great it's not terrible but it's not great so but uh, yeah just i was so impressed with them and i cannot wait to fly them again and i really hope that they don't get acquired or they even ig get anywhere near them because they'll just they'll just cheapen that experience i mean there's a reason we talk a lot about norwegian in that podcast in this podcast is because they're good. I mean, not everything is perfect, but they're good. And it's exactly like you said, they're giving a run for the money and all the others are doing these routes. And that just for that, I appreciate them. Yeah. And they didn't lock the windows. <laughs> so they automatically get many points for that. But yeah, I was impressed. How was the, the leg room? More than adequate. And especially okay. because I had two seats, I could yeah. put my carry-on next to me or under the seat. So it was... It was more than more than adequate. I, yeah. I just I was the there was something about the vibe. Yeah, and that's exactly. why I said early, like two years ago, Virgin should have bought Norwegian while they were still viable, viable, and just made it Virgin because it was it felt very Virgin. It's 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 exactly. I remember we talked about it with when I did that flight two years ago. It's exactly what I thought. There is this vibe that you don't see in many airlines. Yeah. That is friendly, fun, young, exciting, but still very professional. So I don't know. I I really did enjoy it. Yeah. And for a price on these routes, that is super ultra competitive. Yeah. I was so impressed. So impressed. Yeah, I might uh, if I don't fly uh, Emirates uh, from Athens to to New York, which I might have to do in in three weeks. I will uh, clearly f- uh, go back here and fly um, from Gatwick, Norwegian, yeah. because it just makes sense. To be honest with you, it makes yeah. sense. Uh, a few news about Norwegian. So the company says that uh, at Q2 2018, it has reached its peak of its expansion. So I'm not sure they. I don't know if they say that because they are running into some cash issues. Yeah. <laughs> it seems to be. Uh, they are saying that they are looking into cost-cutting measures. Uh, they are also saying that they're looking to divesting aircraft, so meaning like reducing the fleet or leasing more. I don't know exactly how what that entails. It, it's funny. I think it was Ashley Quint that uh, put this, the, the photo on Twitter 
hat luxury traveled and you see the vice president of comms saying all the things that look like we don't have enough money to go on or we need to be careful and the very last bullet point is like it's business as usual for passengers and staff you're like well not really actually yeah. if you say all that. we'll see uh they're open it's one of the bullet points they clearly open for acquisition <sighs> I, I, it just <laughs> it's frustrating because We've seen it happen so frequently where the consolidation just leads to a degraded passenger experience. And it's, I think Delta is the exception to that. I'm, I have, I'm not, I haven't flown Delta in ages, but I understand that that relationship with Virgin has elevated both products, but, but we'll see. I, I, I hope this isn't the case. I think they have expanded aggressively and now you get into efficiency mode. And you you try and scale it and make it make it profitable, and that that's that's where the brilliance comes in. This is where make or break point for a lot of airlines. We'll see what the next five years holds. Well, talking about degrading passenger experience at Italia is uh, surely the great ing uh, in a, like in a slope of degradation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we still Jeez, don't know. We still know what's going to happen. Nope. Uh, the thing is, uh, the antitrust regulators in Italy have actually opened a probe to see whether or not the rescue to the loan by the government uh, back then was actually legal or not, which means that if it's proven to be legal, they have to reimburse it. It's gone. It's off. There's no way that uh, Lufthansa or Ryanair would buy it as is. Like you like you mentioned earlier about Air France, maybe they're just going to sell the name. Yeah. <laughs> because if suddenly they have to reimburse their, the loan, ouch. I mean, ouch, Yeah, that's, ouch, ouch. what are you going to do exactly? Which allows the other player that is starting operations to be very happy, which is uh, Air Italy, which is Qatar uh, Airways backed. They are finally starting this month. They received their first aircraft, a 320. They are doing domestic flights, uh, Milan, Rome, Naples, Palermo, Catania, and they're launching their long haul flights in June. So it's starting. We'll yeah, and they look, they looks good. I think um, Jason Rabinowitz, the at Airline Flyer, he was at the... Boeing Air Italy, and and we should remind people that uh, Air Italy is was Meridiana. Yeah, it was another already an airline. Yeah, uh, and he was there for um for the unveiling or announcement of the new livery and some of the. I think they're getting seven thirty seven maxes, aren't they? But yeah, he posted some pictures of that. It looks fantastic. So yeah, looking forward to that. And of course, yeah. uh, Al Baker was there <laughs> with his new uh, new projects. So yeah, good stuff. Uh, let's hope that they they succeed and like Etihad. Etihad should simply now buy a stake in Air France. Because, yeah, yeah. You know, well, like we joked about it, as you say, at the top of the episode. Who knows? <laughs> because they, they seem to be uh, investing in falling knives all the time. So, well, <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see about that. Let's, um, uh, yeah, well, since we're in the region, uh, because we talked about it in the last episode, you remember El Al was attacking both the Israeli government and Air India, because Air, Air India had authorization to fly from India to uh, Ben-Gurion flying over Saudi. Well, uh, unexpectedly, or maybe expectedly, because we mentioned all the, the back channel stuff that is happening in the region, well, Saudi Arabia will allow Israeli airlines to use its airspace soon. That's the Minister of Transportation of Israel that declared it. Air India will keep its permission that is just being enlarged to... Uh, and that's pretty unprecedented, actually. It is uh, unprecedented. It's quite extraordinary. I mean, I don't know what that, what the further geopolitical implications are, but it's yeah. very interesting development. 
it's kind of the first kind of official connection between Israel and Saudi Arabia because, I mean, we know they talk to each other, but yeah. there's never like any... Anyway, and the last story of the day, guys, there were a lot of people I wanted to give shout out to, but we're really running a long, long episode here. So you, you will have to wait for the next one. Don't worry. I've seen all your messages and keep sending us messages. Very always appreciated that you guys yes. do that. iTunes reviews, sharing the episodes on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and wherever. It's really, really well appreciated. Appreciate it. We really love it. And we try to answer to everything, actually. You, you, for those who've tried to contact us, you've seen it. And if we don't, please forgive us and insist. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that that happened over the weekend, so yesterday, Sunday, uh, May 13th. Istanbul Airport, this Asiana 330, that knocked down the tail, the tail fin of a Turkish 321. Oh, wow. The yeah. images are... It, it like completely shears it off like it's made out of butter <laughs> it just it just sort of cuts it right off it's and, and paul and i were looking at this video this morning going whose fault is this <laughs> and i think well it'll be interesting to see where the report lies but watch the video it is ex just the most amazing footage i've ever seen of just winglet of the 330 it's going <laughs> that's it bye <laughs> and the the the, the 330 the, the the wing is exactly almost exactly at the right height to really knock off the tail fin so would have been slightly higher it would knock off half of it and slightly lower will actually directly hit the fuselage and the the tail fin just simply disappears i mean yeah. it's i never thought and you said that to me this morning that it would be so not frail this is not exaggeration but it would just drop like that <laughs> yeah the 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 noise inside both of those airplanes must have been otherworldly. Fasten your seatbelt until... Yes! Uh, <laughs> you you said that and you're spot on. That is why you don't stand up until they turn off the seatbelt sign. Because yep. you would have felt that and you would have been knocked on your face if you'd been standing up reaching for Absolutely. an overhead bin. There were no injuries, so probably Thankfully. people were still either still standing or even if someone fell, nothing grave happened. The but So the, we'll learn what happened. It looks like that the Turkish 321 was going into its parking, so pull, pulling in its parking position, but stopped approximately 30 meters from where the jet bridge would be. But we don't know why. So maybe they, they were waiting for the signal to actually do it. It happens sometimes. Maybe the gate was not ready. I don't know. Maybe something else happened. But the thing is, somebody didn't make his homework. Yeah, because some, some people say, all right, you know, the 330 pilot should have looked at it. But then again, they were given clearance probably. Yeah. So yeah, I was just happy that no nothing, one was hurt. Yeah. yeah. And of course, I, I'm, I'm not sure that Turkish plane will ever fly again because it's no. a pretty big hit. <laughs> My God. <laughs> I'm looking forward to reading the report on this one. So any any such extraordinary stories at uh, Chicago RD? If it's going to happen, it'll be there. I mean, that airport <laughs> is monstrous. Like, I'd never flown into there until last September. And we were lucky enough to come in from the south, so not over the lake. And you kind of fly alongside the airport and keep flying and keep flying and keep flying and keep flying. And you're like, good Lord, this airport is never ending. And you, then you land and you taxi and you taxi and you taxi and you taxi. It is a absolutely enormous airport. It's beyond anything I've, I think I've ever experienced. The problem is, is that it's been, it was designed in an era which was like, you know, pre-amenity and the whole thing has been pushed and pushed and pushed. It's a very, very much like JFK oh, capacity. So. It's very busy. It has, I think, among the worst on-time performance of any airport in the world, certainly in America. 
but I'm completely in love with it because <laughs> it's because of its scale, because of the sheer variety of carriers that you see there, uh, and the types of airplanes and the just the, the constant comings and goings is rather nice. It's a ball lake to get to. Actually, it used to be a ball lake to get to because traffic was and is horrendous, no matter how you 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 try and do it. But they've made some really good improvements to the T. So actually, you can go right from the airport to downtown Chicago on the T in like on a good day, 35 minutes. That's the way to do it. Otherwise, traffic is just nightmarish. But it's just one of those airports where I'm sure if you had to do it every week, you'd loathe it. <laughs> but but going every six months or once or you know not even that is is a really rather incredible experience. I, I just love it. I was so so impressed with it. It has like seven runways or something. If it's, it's just it's it's monstrous. Yeah. It's absolutely monstrous. I, I I I cannot get over how big that airport is. Uh, I'm I'm in awe of it. And like I say, you see. You see every manner of airplane and every airline from from really all over the world, uh, and and of course is is AV or AV geeks. It's it's quite extraordinary. But yeah, it's it's got seven runways, which all constantly seem to be in use. It's eighty million people going in and out of there. So yeah, it's just uh, it's just amazing. So I lo- I love it. I th- the problem is again, and to to answer the question that is the namesake of this of this podcast, it's a crappy airport for layovers because it's so far out of town and it takes so long to get there. So you've got this like array of airport hotels around. So you you don't really get to experience Chicago unless you have a long time on the ground there. There's a lot yeah. of facilities, not so much in T5, which is the main international ter- terminal. But if you're transiting between US carriers, then there's a, a few bits and pieces. But it's not, I don't think, a great airport for layovers. Also because of the punctuality issue. <laughs> if I remember correctly, and again, it's been a very long time I haven't been to it. I have this enough, to be honest, I, I know I've done the, the, the international terminal, but I know I've done others because as I told you guys, I was a teenager probably when I was living there. They all the terminals have this kind of similar look, very long corridors basically. Yes. You keep walking, 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 walking. You have gates obviously and uh and they I mean I'm not saying that they exactly look uh, the same, but they have the same feeling to them. The one thing that I remember was a nightmare to uh switch terminals. Yeah GFK you know is admittedly also not very good. I think they are now trying to uh, they have a plan, which I don't remember the name of, that they're trying to make it easier for this type of transitions between the yes. terminals, especially when you come from international and let's say you fly Lufthansa and then uh, you want to you keep going on Star Alliance, which I think United is Terminal 1. Uh, so to make these type of transitions within groups, One World, Star Alliance, etc., much easier to clear because right now apparently it's still a mess. I remember and we're talking 20 years ago that it was a mess and apparently it's still a mess so they're making a lot of improvements there so uh, they have this automated people mover called the air transit oh. system which which has been around since 93 uh and and takes you from the rental car all the way through to the um the various terminals but it's not uh i don't think perhaps as good as it should be 
But you know, it's one of these major hubs in the world. I mean, it's one yeah. of the biggest airports in the world. Uh, anything that caught you out, especially at Terminal Five, you said you were good food, for instance, and obviously no, not oh. well, there, there's a, a there. Some everybody recommended the Rick Bayless, who's an American chef specializing in Mexican food. He has a little bar there, and you know what? For airport food, it wasn't half bad. And the the people that work there, I've never seen people work so hard in an F and B environment in my life. And they were friendly and smiling and jovial the whole time. Reasonable guacamole, and that's all I care for. And, and Negro Modelo beer. So yeah, uh, uh, it was much better than the lounge, which served like Norwegian and Air France and Iceland Air and Emirates and Qatar. So it was rammed, absolutely rammed. And I could only take a little bit of that before I, I just wanted to explore the airport a little bit. Can you can you actually do plane spotting? Can you see the yes. aircrafts? Oh, okay. Yeah. So from that lounge, you get a reasonable view of the movements from the restaurants and stuff. Not really, no, or not, not, uh, not so much. They all are on the inside, and the gates yeah. are on the outside. I need to go back just because first I want to see Chicago again because I have memories yeah, of great a teenager. City. It sometimes happens when I need to go to the West Coast. There, I have options to transit to do this type of layover, and the reason I don't do it is what I just explained. It says a uh, change of terminal. I'm like, oh my god, do I really want to do a change? of terminal right yeah so well exactly so but uh yeah i should i should i think is it chris chris uh that woman i mentioned earlier on the episode uh and I, it was the one who was also telling me is it uh help paul decide if it's av geek or av geek uh i think you live in chicago so maybe yes please tell us uh yeah give us some more. tips and some uh, maybe good place to have food or your favorite lounge whatever and we'll mention in one of our forthcoming episodes and also use them i think you're are you not going back at some point, Alex, this year? To Chicago? Yeah. Probably. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, good answer as ever. Of course, me too. I want to do it. Yeah. So, Chris and other guys uh, who, who live there, let, let us know if there's anything that we should pay attention to or not or avoid or do because it's uh, it's an airport that I really have only memories of. That's it. Yeah, it's definitely, I, definitely worth exploring, both city and airport. <laughs> So, uh, talking about, I mean, it was a long episode because we know we're going to record next. So, I know you're doing Miami and then, oh my God, you have so many flights this month. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm doing London, Miami, Tampa, London, and then London, Moscow, SVO, DME, Heathrow, and then straight on to a Dallas flight, then down to Monterey, Mexico. Into Miami, then to Heathrow. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and then at the end of the month, the trip I'm looking for, I'm looking forward to all those. I'm flying on an RJ85 to Dublin and back. Oh yeah, and stay tuned for that because there's a lot more on that one. Yeah, we mentioned it briefly in our previous episode. That's going to be the one to look for. Yeah. Uh, as for me, you, I've hinted at it. Uh, so of course I'm going to uh, Barcelona tomorrow for work. Uh, although I'm doing to be a little bit of tourism and some good food as well, as always. But then it's my vacation. I'm not revealing where I'm going uh, because I'm going to be off the grid. But there will be some cool stuff to talk about when I get back from it. And then directly, probably, there's Eastern Europe, Athens. Again, this will be the third time in five weeks. Yes. And uh, New York, probably. And then right behind Asia again. So, But we will find time yeah, we'll to do. We Look, guys, we promised you. And that's why we're giving you this time. We said... Bit extra. Well, I don't know exactly at what uh, uh, end time will be this episode once I edit it, but uh, it might be quite long for you to have a little bit extra gravy. <laughs> gravy. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time. 
Okay, Alex. Uh, safe, have safe, safe flight. 